Thanks for checking out the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Enjoy. We're having a money talk. Talked last week, started this thing out, and, and talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. Find it in your Bibles, please. It says, but know this, he's asking us, in, Paul's asking us in his most intimate letter, the letter probably written uh, closest to his, his own death uh, and, and written to his son in the faith, Timothy. He's, he says, listen, know this. So pay attention. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I don't know what you think perilous means, but an alternate translation will be times of stress. If you have a spirit-filled life Bible, it's actually in your center margin. You say, really? I've never seen that. Yeah, you need to look and see what somebody said about it. I'm not saying that's absolutely it. But what I'm saying is we live in a time where it is offered to us to operate in stress. It's easy to operate in stress. All you've got to do is submit to the request. Amen. For men will be lovers of themselves. We'll probably do a sermon series on this one, but it's too painful to touch right now. But but men will be lovers of themselves. That's the first thing. Second thing will be they will be lovers of money. People of God, you don't have to look very far in today's economy and climate to realize that there are a great number of Americans, Christian or not, doesn't really make any difference, who are in love with money. That's what they talk about. And the reason you know is because they're willing to blame everybody under the sun for why they're not comfortable. See, when you've got to find... Do you understand that fixing the blame for something doesn't fix the problem? Fixing the blame doesn't fix the problem. So in marriage, it's not that woman God gave you or that man that you chose. It's not. You cannot fix the problem by fixing the blame. Your finances are not in tough shape because of an economy. They're in tougher shape because of your decisions. Money, put up the first quote, would you please, Jeremy? Money is amoral. It is neither good nor bad. It cannot act on its own. And in fact, it's, did I, did I find it? I'm sorry. How are we doing? Maybe not. I'll read it to you. Money is amoral, neither good nor bad. Cannot act on its own. That's the part you had from last week. Here's the part for this week. It is only a tool in the hand of a steward's relationship with God. It is only a tool in the steward's relationship with God. Please see this. Money has nothing technically to do with it. It's a tool so when we talk about money, when we have this, 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 this money talk, we have to realize that we live in relationship to it, not relationship with it. Is that okay? Relationship to it. You've got to keep it under the boundaries of what God has for you. The moment that you leave the boundaries of biblical integrity in your finances, you will pay for it over and over and over again, possibly for years. (coughs) 
because you left the relationship with God to your money. Last week we talked about everyday realities. I used Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 where basically he says to, oh, there, thank you, brother. Are you getting that? Yeah, there you go. Where he says, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get or literally or, or for me more literally to attract. This is not about you doing something as much as it is about you being something. Right? When you're obedient, when you're willing and obedient with, with God, it is attractional to provision. And look, he says, he gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. Notice that God does this with a specific end or fruit or harvest in mind. To establish his covenant, which he swore. Throughout all of history, money has been attracted by biblical stance and rejected by worldly stance. Now listen, if you measure the amount of money for what I just said, you'll be missing the point. See, the point really is the attractional nature of righteous or boundary, righteous boundary living in relationship to money. If you don't see that, you'll think, well, I'm going to give to get. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen occasionally. I'm saying that's not the motive of our hearts. If our motive is to build this huge pile then you've missed the motive of God. Because if you'll be willing to, to use the pile that God gives you in the way that God gives you to use it, He'll make the pile bigger. It's really simple, people of God. You say, well, I can't believe that'll happen. That's exactly the problem. You can't believe it will happen. The number of pastors that I talk to that, that do not believe this will happen, they, they don't believe that... that if you treat the church as a living entity, you know, your church would never ask you to do something that it, the church, as a living entity would be unwilling to do. We will never ask you for money without being willing to put our own money. And you say, well, where do you get your own money? We get it from your abundance. Let's be clear about that. We handle, your elders handle these things correctly in such that their actions have produced a righteous standard and that righteous standard has attracted wealth. Thank you. Okay, one, one person. If you've been here very long, you know that's happened. We are not smart enough to do this on our own. You aren't either. You know, this, this church hasn't invested in some crazy get-rich-quick scheme where we bought this or bought that and it turned into some sort of amazing pile of money. All we've done is what God has told us to do, what we believe God has told us to do, and we've made a boatload of mistakes, and yet God is still faithful. So when we talk about this, living in relationship with money, we have to understand that it is a tool relationship. So here's your quote. How we live in relationship to money should be governed... By God's word. How you live in relationship with money should be governed. In the same way that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 says that you don't get a choice where you go to church. Did you know that it said that? He places the members in the body as he chooses. You say, well, I get to choose where I go to church. Well, good luck with that. Honest, good luck with that. Because, see, if you go to a church that you're comfortable with, you're likely never going to get stretched into the picture of Jesus Christ that he has for you.
If you go to a church that makes you uncomfortable every once in a while, <laughs> it'll stretch you. And you'll go, really? Is that preacher or whoever's speaking? Are they like nuts touched in the head? Should we build them a rubber room? Or is there even the possibility that something that they said has a hint of truth in it? See, I can't make this happen for you. You have to adjust to what God's word says. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Again, that's exactly the problem. You don't believe God. Listen, it is not in the Bible that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who have nothing to, to offer. The weaker you are, the more grace shows up in your life. And you say, well, I don't believe that. It's exactly the problem. Are you getting this yet? We, just, we decide what we're going to submit to. Turn with me if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Leave that quote up, if you would, Jeremy, for just a little while. Here's your first quote. So I'm going, to, I'm going to teach into these quotes. So your first quote is, how we live in relationship to money should be governed by God's word. I'm going to teach you from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice, if you would, please. It's always embarrassing when I switch Bibles, because the pages are still stuck together in some areas. Wait till we go to Haggai. You think that wasn't fun to find for the first time in this Bible. You know, it never been. It never found that area before. It had been sitting in a box for weeks or months. But I found it. And let me just give you a hint. When I do this kind of stuff, and I'm going to use a reference that I don't always go to, I just write the page number in my notes. See, you all think, man, how's he do that? Sometimes I just write the page number in my notes. It's the ones that I can see in the spirit that I have trouble with. And I'm going, okay, right? That, God, you want to say that? And, and so those are, so, you know, then you've got to trust, man. It is scary. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, notes verse number 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, this idea of a steward is literally how we have charge over something that belongs to someone else. How we have charge over something that belongs to somebody else. The mysteries of God belong to God, but he's given them to us to understand. Matthew chapter 13 and verse, verse number, somewhere in there, says that, that it's been appointed unto you to know the mysteries of God. You understand that God wants you to press into that knowledge. And you move the knowledge from it, its existence in your head into the living reality of truth in your heart. That's what God does. He just wants you to cooperate. Notice it says in verse number two. Moreover, so on top of this stewarding of the mysteries of God, he says it is required. Oh, I love this. Requirement means to strive humbly and sincerely to follow and obey. It says it's required. Now listen, you have to be willing, this is going to tie the Sunday school crowd in here, but you have to be willing to process this from a willing heart. See, if you sit back and say, well, I know the pastor, he's all wound up about this one today and he's trying to get us to think a particular way, but I just don't believe it. That's just because you're not willing. You don't have to believe what I say. Listen to what God says. 
He says it's required that stewards be found, notice that, be found. How does God find you? Did you know that God is looking to find people who are faithful? Isn't that interesting? You say, well, no, it's the people who are like speaking the word all the time. No, he's just looking for faithfulness. That may include speaking the word, but actually God finds people who are known spiritually inside by their faithfulness. Now listen, faithfulness doesn't mean you're always right. It just means you're always trying. Right? I mean, I've seen some stuff in the Bible and I thought, well, I'm going to try that. And I just stayed with it for a while, you know. I mean, I tried to ignore God for over two years on the initial call of my life in, in the ministry. I tried hard to ignore Him. And you know, every corner I turned in, in ignoring ran into Him. There He was again. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Tracy and I, we weren't, we weren't settled in a church. And so we tried to sneak away and go to churches because we loved God, but we didn't love what He asked us to do. And so we'd sneak into churches all over this area. We'd sneak into churches. We were in church in Sterling <coughs> before Pastor Brian was up there. We were in a church, I think it's Sterling, <coughs> walked in there and the guy stopped the service. Pointed at us. Said, did you know that God's called you into ministry? I said, yeah, I'm trying to hide from that. You just try those things. What's God working on? Is He working on you agreeing with Him? Well, kind of. But what He's really working on is your willingness. you got to be found faithful. You say, oh, yeah, I'm faithful. No, no, you're faithful. Most Christians are faithful in the things they know and agree with. Come on. How many of you, don't raise your hands. How many of you in times of struggle ever adjusted your tithe to include your willingness based on your finances? I gave 20 instead of 200. You say, well, God knows I can't live on that little. Actually, God knows exactly the opposite. <laughs> You say, well, I just don't believe it. That's exactly the problem. Are you, are you tracking with me? See, sometimes there's a stretch that goes on with your willingness. You say, well, i got to save that for the just-in-cases. Listen to me. If any farmer saved the seed for the just-in-case they got in the mood to plant some more of it, until they plant it, it's never going to create a harvest. See, the just-in-cases are not reality in God. We start with a position of willingness according to God. You know, there's a couple of places in the Bible where the leader had to ask the people to stop giving. Their hearts were so willing that he had to ask them to stop giving. Just call up every one of your friends and ask any of them if they've ever been in a church where people said, please don't give anymore. We don't know what to do with this. They gave willingly into, into David's temple. And then God didn't even let him build it. They gave willing, have the people willingly offered. It's all through Chronicles. It's awesome. So it's required. Listen to this. Here's your quote. How we live in relationship to money is reflected in our ways. How, we live, how you reflect your relationship with money is seen by everyone. 
It's seen by everyone. You say, really? Yeah, look at this. This is, this is that scripture, Haggai, in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, one of the little, little uh, 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 minor prophets. But if you've got a, a, a book like, or a Bible like mine, you can turn to about page 1300 and you can find it. Haggai chapter 1. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Why didn't God ever call anybody Fred? Verse number three, are you ready? Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you yourselves, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, this is a specific contextual conversation about how they went to rebuild the temple, but the first thing they did was build their houses. And it went on and on and on. In fact, they had tried for a great number of years. Um, historically, they, they tried for 70 years or some number of years. And, and basically, it got built in like 68 or 63 days or something like that when God got behind it. Took them 70 years to decide whether or not to do it. And forgive me, I'm not exact on those numbers, but I, I know that the context of what I'm saying is actually correct. And when God got behind it, it only took a few days. Interesting. Here's what was happening. Verse number four, six, four, five, five. Now that I underline this in your Bible. Now, therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, consider your ways. What did he just say? He said, you've built your houses. Notice how the reflection of your relationship with money is seen by everybody. You've built your houses, but God's house lays in ruins. It was seen by everybody. Now, they were trying. They were giving good conversation to it. They had great intentions, but it didn't happen. Verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. Notice that God points out to them that in the midst of their relationship with money that they actually believed right, but because of the condition of their heart or their ways, their relationship with money, the actual belief system didn't work. Do you see it? He said, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. Now I want to tell you something, that can get discouraging. You eat and do not have enough. You're never satisfied. You drink, but are not, are fi not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. This is the one I like. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. The bag with holes is an interesting terminology because it, it, it literally implies or shows to, to, to get the bag with holes, it literally means that it's been pierced through with pain. Pierced through with pain. How many of you recognize that when you are pierced through with pain, it can put you in a position very difficult for you to handle your heart, your relationship with money, because the pain you have has taken control over your relationship with money. That's what he's saying. You, 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 you earn wages, but you put them into a purse with holes. How we live in relationship to money is reflected in our ways. Here's your next point. How we live in relationship to money is governed by the God who holds your breath and owns all your ways. How we live in relationship to money is governed by the God who holds your breath and owns all your ways. Now I'm picking and choosing here, and I know some of you would say, oh, just stay in one spot. No, this is too good. 
I know that you know a lot about money, but I just want you to process this and take this whole picture and say, okay, how do I, how do I paint this all together? And you paint it all together by taking all of these areas where God is, is, is dealing with the relationship of money. Not where God just says, you know, I love those scriptures that said, man, given it shall be given unto you. I love that. Pressed down, shaken together, shall men give into the, into the, the, the cup or the, or the cavern created by the breast of your coat. I, I love those things. But they're, they're incomplete because they don't take into account all the other scriptures that teach about the relationship that's necessary. See, you can't separate your money from the, the, from the relationship you have with God. Your money has to be governed by that relationship. It's not a secondary thought. See, when I have these money talks, and, I, and I've had them for the whole of my ministry life, when I have these money talks with people, oftentimes people have been left to their own thinking that it feels a whole lot like I'm meddling in their money. And so I want to just say this really clearly. I am. I have every intention of getting in your pocket and walking around. Now, not because I want to know what you give or any of those kinds of things, but because I want this desire, and you're going to see this in the last point, I want this thing that I have to end up benefiting your heavenly account. And you say, well, I didn't even know I had a heavenly account. Yeah, it's the only place I can find out where God's keeping track of stuff. Daniel chapter 5, Here's your, here, this is, I'm, I'm going to teach into this quote. How we live in relationship to money is governed by the God who holds your breath and owns all your ways. He says this to Belshazzar, who is the son, or the, maybe the grandson, but is related to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And you remember this time, you know, Daniel and his buddies were, were taken captive over to Babylon and, and, and they were supposed to bow down. Well, this is, this is a part of that story. And, and of course, you know, they were thrown in the, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. The, the, Daniel and his, his buddies were, were thrown into the fire and, and oh, how be it, I threw three in and there's four dancing around. I always love the fact that, that, that God joins us in the dance over the thing that the world designed to kill us and put us in pain. I really like that. Really fun when people realize that in your worst possible circumstance, God is dancing and waiting for you to join him. Yep. That's a pretty good point, Glenn. Way to go. Come on, how many of you ever seen the regal nature of God dancing? You can't even get your mind around because you have him in some sort of robe and this crown and this stately throne. And, and like he's this angry dude in heaven with a, with a big scepter thing that he reaches out through the heavenlies and whops people when they're bad. Nope. He is up there cutting a rug over your situation. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Have you got this yet? That's exactly the point. Is we don't believe it. We don't believe that God is happy. We don't believe that God wants to give us exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can dream up. Because what we want is to never change our relationship with God, but receive the benefits of a good relationship with God. Amen. I'm a priest of the drums. 22. Chapter 5, Daniel. Are you ready? But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Notice that it takes in the relationship with money a humility or a humbleness of heart. 
Although you knew all of this. Notice that he says this was imprinted in you. This is something you knew and yet you refused. Verse 23, you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Notice the self-exaltation here is a, is, a, is a step within the relationship with money. Listen, it's not because I'm the pastor of this church, not because we got good elders. It's not because of anything other than the fact that we serve a good God. Well, I just don't believe that. I believe you people are doing people something, are doing right. something right. right. If you believe, if you believe that, that, it's the, it's reason, the reason that people, that people don't, don't come, come to your come church. To church. When God adds reverb, it's evidently his point. Amen. That was awesome. Is it still happening? No. <laughs> See, I don't know what happened there. You know, they're back there and poor, poor sound people and Jeremy's team back there. They get all red in the face when something like that happens. And, and you know, I used to hear people say the devil's in the sound system all the time. I used to see that. I thought, why would you want him in your sound system? I want God to play it too loud. I want God to put reverb on the point. And you know, you say, you say, well, I just don't believe that's happening. Have you got it yet? That's the exact problem. You don't believe God would do things like that. Amen. Lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house. See, see what happened was either Nebuchadnezzar or Belteshazzar sent people and they, and, and they took the children of Israel captive and they brought all the temple artifacts all these these goblets of gold and silver and all that kind of stuff and then because he lifted himself up he thought it was okay for him to actually have a party using these these golden uh, uh, glasses and, and different things like that so that's what's happening here in context and he says he says um, they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your lords your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them you've praised the gods of silver and gold notice that he left the relationship right relationship with God and he praised the gods of gold and silver he pay he, he praised the natural gods of money making through the world's ways I mean, how rich could you be if you could just steal stuff from other people? Right? I mean, this stuff belonged to their God, according to their traditions. So they went and stole this gold, right, and used it for a party. Can I, can I give you a warning? Please be careful when you condemn, convict, and complain about people with money. Because it will lead you to make decisions that will separate you from the righteous boundaries that God gives you. People of God, if you can't rejoice with somebody who's been blessed by God, you won't rejoice when he does it for you. If this is a competition, we all lose. Because there's only one winner in all of this. His name is God. Amen? Amen. Notice, if you would, please, in the uh, 20, uh, uh, third verse. Well, start there where you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Now, pay attention. Daniel, in interpreting Belteshazzar's thing here and doing all of this and being able, he's, he's going to interpret the things that God writes. By the way, what a movie this would make. 
I mean, honestly, it's kind of like the Adams family on God's steroids. Remember, remember the Adams family guy, the hand that just topped around like this? Well, what if in my movie, the hand showed up and etched into three, four foot stone this big saying that no one could understand? Now, wouldn't that be a good movie? And then to have this dude, Daniel, show up and say, oh, yeah, let me tell you this first before I give you the interpretation. And he says, it's because you've done this. It's because of this. You've, you've changed in your relationship, your right relationship over money with the relationship with the gods that don't talk, don't see, don't hear, don't know. It says, you've praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in His hand do you see how important it is for there to be a right relationship between you, God, and money? Because the God who holds your breath in His hand is measuring it. It's pretty important, people of God. He says, the, the God who holds his, his, your breath in His hand, and look at the next part, and owns all your ways. Now there's two sides to this. God is literally, through Jesus Christ, taking responsibility. He's owning our ways even when we miss what He's offered to us. Because of His grace and mercy, He owns our ways. And he says, why did you trade this in? The God who holds your breath and owns your ways. Are you seeing the importance of the relationship, biblical relationship with money that God seems to offer through His Word. See, if we're going to have the money talk, we've got to get it out of here's what I have, here's what I own, here's what I want, but rather we get into here are the boundaries that God gave us to operate in. See, if you want to be, if you want to be blessed in what God has called you to do, you've got to use biblical boundaries in dealing with your money. You cannot make up your own rules. As much as you want to, you cannot. You should not. You can. You should not. Because the end result is the God who holds your breath and owns all your ways. Has, you, you, you've changed your relationship from one God to another. See, churches should not have a relationship with the God of gold. Well, amen. It's last week. You can't serve two masters, God and mammon. You cannot serve the manifestation of worldly wealth. And that, that does not mean you have to be poor. Okay? Do you understand that sometimes what worldly wealth will do will get you to run over people for your own benefit? Will get you to rejoice in somebody else's failure because you got the blessing of it. Amen. Amen. Do you get it? So how we live in relationship to money is governed by the God who holds your breath and owns all your ways. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Have you got this part yet? That's exactly the problem. We do not believe what God's word says. And I realize I'm giving you bullet points here. But we just don't believe it. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. Put up the next quote, would you please, Jeremy? Thank you. How we live in relationship... To money is governed by an account of God's word spoken in, over us in heaven. When the Bible says bring your tithe into the house in Malachi chapter 3, 
And he says, and I'll pour out blessings. The word for blessings is the same word that we kind of get um, um, eulogy from to speak well of. And it literally means when you bring your tithe into the house of God, that God will speak well wishes over you. Okay, so in Philippians chapter four, Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Notice that he learned something through his earthly circumstances. And that learning, literally putting his, his, his money, he's a, he's a missionary. And if you read this in whole context, he says, I know you guys lack the opportunity to give to me, but now you've given to me. See, he's, he's literally talking about how they handled their money. Philippians chapter 4, notice if you would please, in the 11th verse. It says, not that I speak in regard to need. You've heard me teach on this before. The word for, for, for speak there is, is lego, L-E-G-O. And just think of the blocks that you step on this time of year in the dark after your kids forgot to put them up. That's what he's talking about. The things that they build their story with. That's a lego. That's a word of God that builds a story. And he says, listen, in the building of the story surrounding my life, I do not speak or the story that I'm building is not in regard to need. Isn't that interesting? Oftentimes, we speak with God purely based on our need. Purely based on our need. We ask God to do things with and for other people based purely on their need. If you've not ever had the question in your heart, why are there hungry people in the earth? When you see, though, you know, please give and they show some starving child, they're using need to motivate you. Now, not to speak poorly of those kinds of ministries, they probably need God. But I just want to tell you something, that is not the way to motivate people who are biblically bounded. Listen, all of you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You do. You want to see God make... I mean, I don't know if you realize, but, but you all gave a, a, a really nice offering to Samaritan's person, and, and I got a, a letter back from them, and you know that they've, I think they've agreed to buy 11 armor-plated ambulances. Who thinks like that? Armor-plated ambulances in a war zone. It seems like a great idea, but who thinks that stuff up? God does. Why? Because he values life over everything else. That's how God thinks. And so your relationship with money is reflected in how you do these things. It's so awesome. Pray for us. Well, it's not this week. Well, it's already out of the bag. Tracy and I have been invited to the Rocky Mountain Ministry Center to have a a reception, a few pastors from the country, and we're one of them to meet with Franklin Graham. Oh, yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? You know, the Bible says your gift will make room for you. Thank you for giving, because it made room for me. <laughs> you say, why is that important to you? It's not important to you. It's just something that God... Come on. How many of you think, just by thinking, that you would have this desire... I want, I want to be in the room when some of those people talk because they think differently than I do. See, one of the keys to leadership is to be in the room with people who think differently than you. Don't tell me you don't need it. Man, I am looking for the room that has my invitation on. I want to be in that room when those people talk. I got nothing to say. 
unless they ask me if I have a question. And then I got something to say, because I got questions. I got questions. See, I want to know how Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse made it through the tough times, because I know they existed. What was happening in your heart during that time? It might be too probing. He may not want to answer it. But if he asks me if I have a question, I'm asking that. Because that's really important. Want to know why? Because he survived that time and grew through it. Most of us don't grow through our difficult times. We actually stay static. We stay still. And we complain. How do we grow? How do we grow through times that no one would sign up for? I want to know that. Anyway, here we go. Are you ready? How we live in relationship to money is governed by an account of God's words spoken over us in heaven. Here's what it says. Look at verse number 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, I seek. Literally, he says, I seek from the hand of another. Okay? That's the first seek. The second seek, uh, uh, seek is the same thing. It's the same word. So let me put this in context. He says, I seek from your hand the giver, and I seek from his hand the giver. He, he's seeking for what you would give because he knows what he would give. He's both sides of that, see? He's, he's saying, listen, take that out of your hand. I'm seeking it from your hand so that you will recognize that when that happens, you can seek from his hand. One's giver in little letters and the other is giver in big letters. And then he says, I seek for the fruit, the benefit, the advantage, the profit, the effect, and in context, the effect of the hand of the giver. How many of you would like to have the effect of the hand of the God who's the giver? See, I want that. I, I, I want to be able to take no credit, no, this was not me, this was God. And you say, well, I, don't, I just seek his face. Congratulations, that's great. You probably should do that most of the time. But God looks to be saying to us that what you do in life when you are biblically bounded by his word turns his hand loose as a giver. I'd like to be on the receiving end of that. He says it abounds. It literally means to have more than enough. It's overabundant. I'll tell you this. God oftentimes seems to limit himself by our limits. When we say, well, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it really does. It really does happen. God will give you exceedingly abundantly more than you can even dare to dream about. It really does happen. You say, well, how do we keep from making that about the money, Pastor? By the biblical boundaries that he gives us. See, that's why in this church, we can give to one group and pray, and God doesn't say the same thing about the other group. There is no consistency or commonality. It's not based on need. It's based on what God's doing in the moment. You say, well, I'd like to be on the receiving end of that. Great. Then pay attention to what God has spoken over you in his word, because that's what the account stands for. What God's word has been said over you, this logos, the word spoken over you by God. That's the account. The account is God's word. 
See, when you look at your account balance, it should include what God has said over you. If you can't put what God has said over you in the bank balance line there, you're missing what he's trying to say about this account. This is literally the account, the word spoken over you by God's word. That's your relationship with money. You say, man, pastor, no one's ever taught me this. Exactly. Because you see, it's too difficult to swim upstream in a deal like this. Because we've all been taught things that literally are not biblical. You know, we, we, we teach things that, you know, that are just crazy. You know, that somehow God blesses poverty. No, he doesn't. Have you ever been in those places where poverty was the governing thing? You, I mean, it doesn't look like God. I'm not saying they're not content. I'm just saying it doesn't look like God. You say, well, does everybody has to look like us? No, everybody's supposed to look like him. That makes sense? Here's the Passion translation as the, move, as the music team moves. This is verse 17. Just listen, or did you put this? Oh, you did put it up there. Thank you. I mention this not because I'm requesting a gift. I love this. But so that the fruit of your generosity may bring you an abundant reward. See, that's what God's word gives to us is a reward, an abundance. His word has been spoken over us. Given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give. Bring the whole tithe into, into the house and he will give you a blessing. Open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing. See, he spoke over you in his word. That's your account. That's your account. What he spoke over you in his word is your account. Much of it, in many people's lives, read a balance of double zero. Because they don't believe what God said over them in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 says that, that, that meat is for those who by way of exercise have exercised their senses to both discern good and evil. See meat of God's word, this kind of stuff that needs to be chewed on. It's difficult because it goes against or at least adds a, a pretty big asterisk or supplemental to what we've been taught about money. So we've been taught if you just give to the church. If you're giving to the church, it's probably a good thing. You're a really good moral person. But if you're giving to God through the church, you're probably a biblically bounded person. Do you see the difference? Well, the church needs... The church... We're having an elders meeting coming up pretty soon. Whenever I say this close to an elders meeting, somebody will say to me, I sure wish you wouldn't say that. Church doesn't need your money. It's not about the money. It's about the willingness. When you sow willingness behind that, the harvest of willingness in your church increases. It's such a powerful thing. People say, well... You know, if you have enough, I mean, all you really need to have is enough. If your belief system only tells you to believe for enough, you are selfish by biblical definition. He who withholds, there's it, Proverbs. He who scatters more than is necessary is blessed. He who withholds, hidden blessed, right? More than is necessary. You say, wow, I can't do that, pastor. I don't believe that works. That's exactly the problem. So I'm trying to teach you with these money talks how to just take God's word as an account balance. 
Go home this week and reconcile your, your statement from God. Write down what God has spoken over you. You know, James chapter 1 says that uh, let not a double-minded man expect that he would receive anything from God. He's unstable in all his ways. But right before that, it says, request from God, wisdom, who gives liberally to all who ask. Which one of those things are you going to believe? You're going to believe the double-minded thing? You're going, well, yeah, that's me. I'm kind of double-minded. You know, I, I try and live in both worlds because after all, you know, God doesn't want us to be too heavenly-minded because then we'll be no earthly good. By the way, that's not in the Bible either. Not at all. And so what do we try and do? We try and live with, with feet planted clearly in both sides. But I want to point out something to you. The devil owns the fence that you're straddling. The devil owns the fence. God is not trying to build a fence to keep people in. He's inviting them openly. The devil is building a fence to keep people in. Keep them in bondage. Keep them in, in prison. To keep them in, 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 in all the things that God promised by His Word that's in their account. He promised to give those things freely. Mark chapter 10 verse 8 says, Freely you have received, freely give. Man, it's just that relationship is just so important. Are you all with me? Is it, is it okay that I just, just spent time, you know, letting my heart out a little bit and telling you? It's not about the money, people of God. It's about the relationship and how you live through that relationship to deal with money. It really is a stewardship issue and it really is a tool. Are y'all with me? How many of you want more tools? <laughs> Isn't that easy? You say, yes, I do. God, if you give me the tool, I'll use it according to your boundaries. Amen. That would be awesome. You say, well, God, if you'll just give me more tools, I'll eat it. I'll eat the seed. Maybe next week we'll talk about that. How you like that? Stand with me, would you please? I hope, I pray that you're getting it. That you're beginning to see the, the kind of the content of God's heart. How He relates to you to give you the boundaries to deal with money right. Amen? Now we're going to touch all the traditional things at some point in all of this. But I want you to get the relation, I want you to get the boundaries down first. Because if not, you'll deal with money in a legalistic way and it'll kill you. It'll just kill you. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you today for this time. Teach us by your word, Father. Continue to show us what's available in our account. Those things you've spoken over us in your word, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Our main service begins at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And if you can't be here in person, watch live at newlifeeckley.com slash live.